0: I'll take this one out. My name is Steve Shaper. Um, I'm the youth director here and also a pastoral intern. And so it's always my joy uh, when I have the opportunity to open up God's Word with you all. If you could make your way to Genesis chapter 7, uh, I would be in Genesis chapter 7 and 8 in the Pew Bible or in your devices. And as you're turning there, um, as I was thinking about the flood, I was thinking about this idea that when things are familiar, it can become common. Something's like real familiar to me. It becomes common, and it loses its value. It loses its importance. I was thinking about when I was just a little guy. I was a, a little kid. I would be coloring or drawing in the pew at church, and when the pastor would say, may the Lord bless you and keep you, May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he fill you with countenance and give you his peace. Now, I would perk up and I would look up because I knew that was the benediction. I knew it was time to go, right? I would go get my snacks. I would have donuts after church, and, and I really looked forward to that. And I knew the words by heart. I could rattle them off. I knew what it said, but I didn't really embrace what it meant. I didn't know uh, what it meant, and I lost the value in it. And I think the same is true for stories like the flood. Many of us who've grown up in the church, we've heard the story of the flood uh, over and over. We heard it as just a little kid because there's animals and there's beautiful colors in the rainbow. And it's a really vivid story. But we can't miss its value and its power. So why don't you follow along as I read. Um And the context here is um in chapter 6. God has just talked about the wickedness of humanity, uh, just really overcoming the earth. Um, and he's given a promise to Noah that he'll deliver him. I want not you follow along as I read, starting chapter 7, verse 1. Then uh, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep the various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send a rain on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights, and I'll wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Let's jump down to verse 17. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and creatures that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days, continuing in chapter eight. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgate of the heavens had been closed and the rain stopped falling from the sky. The waters receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Let's jump down to 15. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, You and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. And all all the animals and all the creatures that moved along the ground and all the birds. Everything that moves on land came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you looking to glean from your word. We come to you asking you to teach us now. Your word is our light. It's our lamp. It guides us. We ask that you would reveal your truth to us, that you would transform our lives, that you would shape us into the greater image of your son. That we wouldn't just read your text here now, but it would read us and it would change us. We pray these things. In your name, amen. So as I mentioned, this is a, a really familiar story for many of us. Those of us that have grown up in the church, uh, Noah's Ark, it's, it's really familiar. And so we're coming and saying, what can we pull from this? What can we learn? What can we apply to our lives from this text? And we're going to get there. We're going to get to that, to the present. But before that, we get to that part of our sermon today. We're going to start and look at Noah and the flood in the past. Then we're going to look at Noah in, and the flood in the future. And then finally, we'll get to Noah and the flood in the present. So we're going to go past, future, present. And that, I'm saying that on purpose. I'm not mistaken. It's not past, present, future. Uh, and I'll get to that later. And as we go through, I'm going to use a picture of uh, actually making a boat of building an ark ourselves or creating a boat. I like picture images. Hopefully that'll help us as we move forward. So first, Noah and the flood in the past. Noah and the flood in the past. And so if we're thinking about building a boat, the first thing we need to do is ask the question, do I have the resources? Do I have everything I need in order to make this happen? Do I have the materials? The money? Do I know the right people? And that's what we come to the text with as well. Do I have what I need in this text? In other words, do I have a grounding? Is it reliable and trustworthy? And many of us have grown up in the church. We say, of course, but for our friends or maybe some of us that have more of a skeptical leaning, it can be challenging and rightly so. I mean, uh, I didn't read uh, the age of um, Noah here, but he's 600 years old when the flood kicks off, and he's 601 when it stops. So that's kind of like, hold up, wait a minute, what's going on here, right? And then the floods actually raising to the level that they did, 15 cubits above the highest mountain. There are questions about if there's even that much water in the ocean and in the atmosphere. Is that Could that be possible? And then there's smaller things, silly things like, well, what about kangaroos? How'd they get from Australia to the Middle East? How'd they get on the ark or penguins or whatever else? So I'd like to look at three ways to interpret this passage, three ways to kind of put on some glasses to help us interpret Noah and the flood. Look at the past and see, is this trustworthy? Do we have uh, what's reliable, um, what we need to move forward? I'll give you three ways to interpret it. First, the first way is this idea is that history belongs to God. History is God's. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. all, uh, all knowing. He's the creator of everything. Um, Dr. Collins, the professor over at Covenant Seminary, one of the things he would like to say is, where can a 2,000-pound gorilla sit? Wherever he wants. Right? If there's a 2,000 pound gorilla that says, I wanna sit there, he's gonna go and sit there and whoever's there is gonna move, right? And the same is true about God. When you look through the lens, uh, at the flood, God is all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. If he created the earth out of nothing, if he spoke light into existence, if he created the Milky Way and all the galaxy, surely he can raise the water level, right? So this is one, one lens to view. This would be more of the direction that, that I have that I view the flood. Another direction, another lens that we can view, the flood is through the lens of an ancient person. Okay? So at this point, uh, in human history, even in Scripture, what we see is that humanity hasn't dispersed to all parts of the earth. That comes later in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, right? So all of human history, all of humanity is concentrated in this particular region. So when the text says that everything is wiped out from the perspective of an ancient person, a flood could have been regional and still be true in covering the whole earth. So this would be another perspective to look uh, at the flood. And the last one isn't my favorite, but it may be helpful for uh, the skeptic or a friend of yours who really doubts it. The last would be to look at it historically through a view that it's an allegory, right? It's a story, a vivid story to communicate a meaning, to communicate a truth, uh, to have a purpose. And obviously, I, I believe that it's more than this. The story of the flood is much more than this. It is more historical than this. But it's not less than this, right? We can all agree that there is a purpose, a meaning behind the story of the flood, right? Can we agree to that? Okay. So these are three ways that you can interpret the story. And with that, I like to think that we have the materials to move forward. We've looked at the past. We can learn something from this. Uh, It's from God. We can move forward. So that brings us to our second point. And that is Noah and the flood in the future. Noah and the flood in the future. And in thinking about building a boat. We've got all our materials, we've got our resources, and now what we need is a blueprint. You need to look at what you're going to do now that you have the materials and resources. I need a plan for moving forward. I mentioned earlier, we're going past, future, present. And the reason we do that is because often in Scripture, that's the way that God does it. A lot of times in prophecy, in the Bible, God tells you where it's going And in light of where things are going, now I know how to live right now. Okay? So that's why we'll get to the present later. First, we need to see the future. But you say, hold up. How is the flood about the future? That happened a long time ago. What does this have to do with the future? Well, we just have to look at the way that Jesus applies the flood in order to see that the flood is for us and for the future. In Matthew 24, the disciples are coming to Jesus and they're asking him, what's going to be the sign of the end of the age? In other words, what, what's going to happen when you're about to come back and judge everything? And Jesus responds like this. Matthew 24, uh, this is verse 10. He says, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Verse 12, he says, because of the increased wickedness, the love of man will grow cold. And then 36, still talking about the same thing, talking about the day when he will return. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So two elements I want to point out about the way that Jesus applies the flood for the future. Obviously, it's judgment, right? Difficult for us to talk about sometimes. Our Western ears, we don't. our modern ears, we don't like to hear the idea of judgment. But Jesus is talking about a decisive judgment when he returns. And comes again. And he looks at the flood and says, look, people were wiped out. Right? There was a decisive judgment that happened. But also, the second aspect in what Jesus says is that there's an increased wickedness. He said uh, in verse 10, many will betray and hate each other. Verse 12, increased wickedness. uh, Because of the increased wickedness, the love of man will grow cold. And not only that. There's elements of it being common and normal. It said people will be uh, eating and drinking, marrying and being given to marriage, right? Everything's evil and wicked and it's just normal. And that's exactly the context and the situation in Genesis 6, right? In Genesis 6, not our passage, uh, but before the scripture says that the earth was corrupt and full of violence. And that violence came through people, through flesh, through men. And so I ask you today, where do you see evil, but it's just commonplace? It's just normal. When I read or uh, hear the news of another shooting, I regret to say that so often I'm like, another one, right? Okay. When I hear a bombing in a marketplace, I move on. When I hear of a scandal of adultery or a scandal of incredible greed, I go, oh, typical. Evil is rampant, and it becomes normal. And all the while, we struggle so much to hear that God is a judge. We don't want to hear that God's a judge, but at the same time, we give our approval in some way to the evil that we see around us. My wife was talking to a friend of hers uh after a tragedy. I, I'm not sure which tragedy it was. Like I said, there there's so many. Um, maybe it was Sandy Hook or San Bernardino or the Pulse Nightclub or uh maybe it was the Syrian refugee babies washing up on the shore of the Mediterranean. Whatever the situation was, my wife was talking with a friend and, and her friend said, I just we could take I just wish we could take all the evil people. All the people that do these things and that are pursuing doing these things. I wish we could just take them all, send them to an island, and then let them destroy themselves, let them perish, let them be wiped out. It's essentially asking for the flood. And my wife rightly said back, but my heart is corrupt. I belong on that island. All of humanity, that's what our scripture said the human heart is evil all of humanity belongs on that island it's like uh when when the prophet nathan approaches david after he commits adultery and has her husband killed in the front lines and the, nathan approaches him and tells this story about um a rich person and he has all these lambs and everything he needs and but there's another person that just has one little lamb that he loves and that rich man takes it and david is furious David's like, this should not be so. It should not be like this. And I, can, I just picture Nathan looking him square in the eye and saying, you are the man. You are the man. That's you. And I picture David just being shook. And, of course, we know that he, he pens Psalm 51 and he repents. But he's shaken to the core because he recognizes that the corruption of humanity isn't out there. It's in here. And because it's in here, there will be judgment, right? The flood for the future. There will be a coming judgment. We ask, how can a loving God kill people? How can a loving God send people to hell? But probably a better question is how is a God of justice and holiness accept me? How can a God of holiness and justice accept me into his presence to be with him forever? This brings us to our second part of Noah and the flood in the future. God accepts people and will accept people in the future through the salvation that he provides. He saves Noah in the ark and everyone with him, his whole family. I think in 1 Peter it says eight people, his whole family's with him. Uh, God saves Moses from the genocide of Pharaoh, and Moses is placed in this basket, and the Hebrew word for basket is the exact same word as ark, so it's, it's reminiscent. The idea is that God is the great deliverer. God is the one who saves, and then Moses goes on to deliver other people. Those that are with Moses uh, leave Egypt and are saved. What about Jonah? God saves Jonah in a fish, and from inside the fish, he declares, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then Jonah goes on to share this message with the Ninevites, and all those that receive that message are saved. But this is for the future, right? We're still talking about Noah in the future. Revelation 7, all tribes, tongues, and nations are gathered together worshiping God. And they say, salvation belongs to our God. It says in a loud voice, they cry out, salvation belongs to our God. this is the direction of the story. The apostles say in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. No other name than in Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus Christ isn't your testimony today. If he is not the God of your salvation today, look to the future. There will be a judgment. But in that judgment, there will be salvation in the name of Jesus. All right, let's move on to the present. Noah and the flood in the present. So we have our um, resources. We have our materials for the boat. We have our blueprint And now the picture of the idea is let's put it together. Let's get to work. Let's assemble the boat. So what I'd like to do is just pull out some application. How do we live this out? So in light of the flood way back when, how do we live this out today? Well, the first thing to do is to live in obedience. If you're taking notes, live in obedience. When God speaks, do it. Real simple. Live in obedience. When God speaks, do it. Uh in Genesis chapter six thirteen says God said, and by verse twenty two, Genesis six, verse twenty-two, Noah did. In our passage, uh Genesis seven, verse one, then the Lord said to Noah, verse five, and Noah did all the Lord that commanded him. It's kind of his calling card, it's kind of what he does. Chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark. Verse 18, so Noah came out. To this point, Noah has not said about not one word, not a single word, but he does stuff. And in his obedience, we can apply what he's done. Live in obedience. When God speaks, do it. Second application from the text, live in expectation. Live in expectation. When God is silent, remember his promises. When God is silent, remember his promises. Live in expectation. Noah and his family, they hear from God uh, to get into the ark. And it's an entire year before they hear from him again to come out of the ark. And all the while, I can only imagine between the smells and you're with your family in an ark for that long, you need to stand on some promises, right? You need to stand on God's promises, And this is actually what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 24. The disciples are asking, um, when are you going to return? How are we going to know? And he's basically saying, be watchful. Live expectantly that he will return. Last point of application. Live in rest. Live in rest. Why? Because God is committed to humanity. God is committed to humanity, and because he is, we can rest in him. Noah's name means rest. And it's crazy to think, how does his name mean rest? And he has this turmoil, this this terrible experience with a flood. This is crazy. This is difficult. How can he be, how can his name mean rest? He can rest because the sin of humanity will not overcome God's plan and God's love for humanity. He can rest in God's love because the the amount of sins that we commit, what you do, it cannot overcome God's love for you. And we know this because in verse 17, chapter 8, verse 17, it says, Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. That sounds a lot like Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the land. Subdue it. It's basically saying the story goes on. The plan is continued. Even though sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, God is not done. He's not through with humanity. And furthermore, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, he won't destroy all living creatures. Praise God that... Jesus Christ has made a way out that no matter how much I sin, no matter how much I rebel against God, if my hope and faith is in who he is, I'm free. I'm saved. Before I was born, before I, I was a twinkle in my mom and dad's eye, and just like you, Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said, it is finished. And you can rest in that. Rest in what he's done for you. I'll conclude with uh, probably my favorite scripture in all the Bible. It's Romans 8. It says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who can do that? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the, the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can do that? And he goes on to say, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths, nor anything in all of creation, not even me, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. That the flood helps us, Lord, that we can look at the past and we can look at the future, the judgment, but also more importantly, even salvation, that you save your people. And that we can apply that to the present to live in obedience, to live in expectation and also to live in rest. Holy Spirit, guide us, Lord, help this truth reign in our hearts, help us to live this out today and forever. In your name we pray. Amen.